Hey everybody. Many of us may have musical fantasies, dreams. It may be to play a certain solo, gig at a specific venue. Maybe it's not about your own personal music performance, but that of a specific musician or band. That is where this episode of the Dogger and Muddy Music Podcast focuses. Chris Penn, the co-founder and general manager for Good Records, obviously loves music. But one thing he really is, is an Alice Cooper fan. He had a dream to pull the original lineup for Alice Cooper back together for a concert. Amazingly, he got to fulfill that dream and make it happen at Good Records, no less. And now the big bonus for you and me. It was all documented on film. Chris asked Steve Gaddis to film the event. Steve is our guest today. Originally, the film was going to be a private film that Chris could pull out and enjoy when he wanted. Well, the stars were fantastically aligned the night of this concert event in 2015. The story was great. The members reunited with their licks still intact and big smiles in their hearts. And lastly, the recording quality was fantastic. So Steve Gaddis's film, Live from the AstroTurf, Alice Cooper, has become a big deal. Steve and the film have been touring festivals left and right this year and winning awards. This is truly a fascinating story. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Steve Gaddis. Amy. Please take over. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? All right, campers. We're here with Steve Gaddis, director and CEO for 1237 Filmworks. His company focuses on delivering music-related feature films, both narrative and documentary, as well as music videos and concert visuals. Some of the music artists he has worked with include Concrete Blonde, The Polyphonic Spree, Halls of the Machine, Menkenna, and the artist we kick off our podcast conversation, Alice Cooper. Muddy has handed the mic to Steve. Let's jump right in. Your film, Live from the AstroTurf, Alice Cooper, was filmed at Good Records on October 6, 2015. Mm-hmm. How did you learn of Chris Penn's uh, plans here? He's the founder of Good Records. You know, his plans for this Alice Cooper concert slash Dennis Dunaway book signing. Well, I, I knew Chris from uh, the work I'd done with Polyphonic Spree. I'd worked on uh, their Christmas shows before. Oh, with Tim and the whole gang, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I ran projections a few years and, and even had uh, put together some of the, the backdrop videos for that. I was also a regular customer at, at Good Records. Um, it had to have to be. Yeah, I'll I'm bet an you, audio file. I'll bet you I've file. seen you there several times. Probably so, yeah. yeah. my walls here are filled with uh, Good Records. Oh, yeah, right. yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> I, I knew Chris from being around the store. He knew that I worked in film quite a bit. I also cut trailers for uh, Magnolia Pictures and, and oh, DVD cool. extras and things like that. So he, he knew that background that I had and, and working with bands, doing music videos and such. And for people that don't know Chris Penn or Good Records, you have to know he is a diehard fan of kind of the classic rock on the harder edge side of things. You know, Aerosmith, he's got an Aerosmith tattoo. Ask him to show it to you. <laughs> and, uh, but his absolute pinnacle is Alice Cooper. And not just 
Alice Cooper, but the 1965, 68 through uh, 1974 Alice Cooper group, the original lineup. Okay. When Alice Cooper was a band before it was known as Alice Cooper the Man, really. Yeah. And to him, getting that band back together would be like getting the Beatles back together. And okay. so he had a secret plan to, uh, to try to get as many of those guys into his store as he could. Gotcha. And, uh, and he let me know when... He, he let me know when he had something underway, probably about a week before it actually happened. Oh, just and, a week before? Well, eh, maybe a little bit longer. He asked me to do a promo advertising that Dennis Dunaway, the bass player, right. was going to be coming in to do a book signing for his memoirs. And so I did a little promo for that, and, and it wasn't too long before it actually happened. And then he came back and said, uh, I think I'm going to get him up on the stage and see if he can play something. Could, could you, like... Just bring some cameras in and, you know, ask some friends if they can help shoot. Yeah. So I said, sure. And I'm, I'm thinking like bass. Okay, this is going to be like a Derek Small show, you know, it's all <laughs> bass. But uh, no, he was going to bring some people with him. And then it kind of grew from there. Fascinating. By the way, Den- Dennis's book is, uh, let's see, I got, yeah, Snakes, Guillotines, Electric Chairs, My Adventure in the Alice Cooper Group. Uh, yes, Dennis Dunaway. He was the bassist, like you said. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, as you'll see in the movie, folks, when you get it, uh, also arriving was Michael Bruce, a guitarist, Neil Smith, the drummer. One of the original, other original members was uh, Glenn Buxton, but unfortunately, he passed away in 1997. Yeah. So, Chris and you had some challenges in pulling this all together. Can you share some of those stories? Well, Chris was. I had no idea what hoops of fire he was jumping through to make this happen first of all the the publishing company for the book was kind of done with book signings they were just sending dennis to bookstores and so when he reached out to dennis dennis is like well they're taking me to bookstores but a record store makes sense to me and so they had to convince the publisher to send the books i had to like pre-buy them and you know i i'm not sure how that's all usually handled but uh so dennis was all on board you know like anything you know to promote his book more plus Having talked with Chris enough, he kind of figured out Chris wasn't one of these weird stalker fans. He, right. he was a guy that knew what he was doing, and he was a fan, and he probably ran a really cool music store. So, And he'd yeah. bring in a half-decent audience for him. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so he was all on board, and then once Dennis was on board, he could call Michael Bruce and, and Neil Smith and, and talk them into coming down. And those three had played together previously as the Billion Dollar Babies after the original Alice Cooper group had split. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. they continued on as that, playing Alice Cooper music plus some things that they did after that. Yeah, because as you'll see in the film, I mean, they're real tight. They were very tight. You yeah, know, absolutely. And uh, w- without much preparation. Too. Yeah. So those three were absolutely going to be a part of it. And they actually came down to the store the night before. Everybody asked how much rehearsal went into it because the performance was so top-notch. And the answer is not a lot. They came down for basically a sound check the night before. And they ran through some songs. Uh, Michael Bruce sang lead on some of them. Right. I I think some of them, they just went without vocals. But they just kind of worked out just, you know, just a quick run-through on some things. Just a technical, you know, sound check. But then the day of, there was nothing. Uh, Alice was never involved in, in the preparations or anything. Uh, the, the first note he sang in preparation for this was the first note you hear him sing in the movie. 
Well, I'm getting to Alice now. There, that was the coup de grace. You know, the, absolutely. Please, yeah, share with us. I mean, you didn't know till very close to showtime if he was even going to be there. Oh, and by the way, crowd, yeah, he is. He's like uh, you'll you'll update me here. He was born Vincent Damon Fernier. Yes, but. But uh, in 1974, he announced the rest of the band. I think Michael Bruce was the first one that had said that he wanted to, to try to do a solo album. And then Alice, um, who was Vincent Fernier at the time, said that he was going to do a solo album too. But he had his name legally changed to Alice Cooper. So by the time his first solo album, Welcome to My Nightmare, came out, the uh, name on the cover said Alice Cooper. Yeah. And then the writing was on the wall for the rest of the guys. And like, yeah. oh, if he's Alice Cooper, who are we? Yeah, that's and, a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'd be tough. Right. But he says in the movie, he said they, they're still relatively good friends. And I mean, they they, they seemed really good on stage and, and uh, were talking off stage. And, and they went on after this. I don't know if this was prompted that, mm-hmm. but they did a little tour in the UK later that year. Yeah, it, it absolutely. It, it started with good records. Chris went around and followed these guys all around the UK, went to Did he show. really? Yeah, and Alice pointed him out backstage at one of the shows, like, uh, this is all happening because of that guy. So, that is so cool. Yeah, so Chris's dream came true, absolutely, to see his favorite band reunited and playing together, and to be credited as, as the person that kind of spearheaded it. You know, he was beside himself. He still is. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, that's how this movie happened. He wanted somebody to document that it actually happened. So the day after, he could wake up, put on the video, and then it's like, it did happen. Crap. I, I thought I just dreamed it, you know? Yeah. So that was the whole point of this movie. You know, we didn't think it was going to be released in any way. You know, there was always a hope, but... Sure. But, but really, doing, this was just... But a, you were doing Chris Penn a favor. Exactly. exactly. That's pretty cool. Well, and hell, is, and as we'll get into, it's evolved into a life of its own big time. Yeah, it has. Yeah, which Turns is out there are a lot. there are a lot of Chris Pins out there that really wanted to see this to happen. And uh, the movie's great for that, because you never know when or if they'll get back together again. Right. Any, anything can happen at any time. I mean, we've already lost Glenn, uh, yeah. and it would have been great to have him there, too. Right. Though I got to say, Ryan Roxy really stepped up to the plate. Yeah, I was impressed. Justice. Yeah. And, and, and in turn, the chemistry was good. There was yes. there didn't seem to be any animosity across the stage when the, when the when the more None. when the current band members uh, were up there on stage with them. None, yeah. It's they they it's old friends getting together and playing together. And Dennis says it in the movie, and it's exactly how it came across. That's great. Well, we start we started. I, I got you off track. Getting through management, etc., to get Alice Cooper to get mm-hmm. here. What were some? I mean, what were some of the challenges? <laughs> I mean, it had uh, to be kind of crazy. Well, for anybody that hasn't heard the name Shep Gordon before, uh, do yourself a favor and check out the movie Supermensch. Uh, it's directed by Mike Myers. And oh, really? Yeah, Supermensch is Shep Gordon. This is Alice Cooper's manager. They've been working without a contract, just handshake agreement only since the late 60s. He's been Alice's manager throughout his solo career afterwards as well. Very shrewd businessman, uh, very creative. He's, he's an idea guy. Lives in Hawaii and basically just kind of like meditates on an idea. And, and then when the spark hits, he starts making phone calls and things happen. He's legendary as far as band managers go. Uh, he's got his fingers in all kinds of things. Like he, he's he's credited with starting the uh, the cooking channel. 
Oh, really? Too. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a big, big, uh, um, like, foodie and, and chef on his own right. I mean, he's had the Dalai Lama eat at his house before. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's Shep Gordon. Shep is the guy you got to talk to to make anything happen with Alice. And Chris, I'm, I know, ran into this whole thing. He's like, okay, I've got, uh, I've got Dennis, I've got Neil, I've got Michael. And now Dennis is asking me what day to do the book signing. Well, so he immediately starts going through and see what Alice Cooper's tour schedule is. And he's like, oh, he's, he's going to be playing in Dallas with Motley Crue. Um, he's got the day off before. He could be in the other city or he could be in Dallas, but he's going to be playing golf that morning. Rest and, assured. <laughs> so, yeah, of Probably course. in Dallas. He yeah, knows the Dallas golf courses, and yeah. yeah, he figured he'd be in Dallas. So he, he's going to schedule the book signing the day off before the Dallas gig, oh. banking that he's going to be in town. So he did that. And then as, as soon as the guy said, yeah, we'll do that day, uh, he, he didn't even tell them why he picked that day. But immediately he reached out to Shep Gordon and said, by the way, all of Alice's old friends are going to be playing on, a, on my AstroTurf stage in my record store. Um, <laughs> you think Alice could come down and join them? And then he brought up to Dennis, uh, by the way, I, I just put this bug in their ear. And <laughs> Dennis was like, oh, 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 slow down, slow down, slow down. That's great that you asked, but let me take it from here. <laughs> oh, really? So Dennis kind of went to bat for him and said, this guy's the real deal. Uh, he runs a, a, a class act store. I mean, it, any music fan, that's where they would want to go. Any musician, that's where they would want to be represented. So uh, Alice and Dennis still on really good terms. Um, they were best uh, friends in good. high school and... and they got each other's ears, so that's great. so. Alice said, "Yeah, I want to do it." Yeah, because in the movie, Dennis said, "You got to be careful because if you ask Shep too many times, it's like forget it. Don't you, keep asking. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you <laughs> ask once, maybe twice, and then you let it ride." Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, that that wasn't clear in the movie that Dennis kind of took it from there. That's good to hear. That's good yeah. to hear. Awesome. So he commits to coming in. He does. Now the day, either the day, the day before or the day of the event. Chris goes to pick up the three original members. Yeah, no this Alice. Was the day before, and uh, there's an issue, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's driving his wife's van and and it's not paying attention to the dashboard, and and he runs out of gas. <laughs> and he's close. I believe he's close to Good Records when this happens. Yeah, oh yeah, he is. Hope Street runs right behind uh, Good Records. Good Records has moved right since to, this, but. Uh, right. But yeah, Hope Street runs behind the uh, the legendary store where this happened. It wasn't that it was going to be a, a huge task to get the van to the store. It was just the fact that they were in the van and it ran out of gas and he just seemed ill-prepared for it. <laughs> but then he tells a story that supposedly they all push him to the gas station, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's guiding it via the steering wheel, but he's got the three original members of, of uh, Alice Cooper pushing his van. <laughs> right. And, and Alice himself had, had a really witty statement about that. I mean, he's a sharp guy. At the premiere uh, of this movie... Um, he pointed out to Chris that towards the end of the movie, Chris says that, you know, having this event happen at his store has given him a new lease on life and has given him fuel for another like five years of running a record store at least. And Alice is like, you said it gave you enough fuel for five more years of running a record store and yet you still ran out of gas. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've watched him and listened. He's a sharp fellow. He's very mm. sharp. So 
And and by the way, they, like you mentioned, Good Records has moved. They're now down on Gaston over uh, a little. I think it's uh, east Garland of, Road. Uh, Gar, uh, Gar, yeah, Garland. Yeah, I get those. They, they cross that <laughs> one, but you're right. Garland Road, a little bit east of uh, uh, White Rock Lake. Yes, which is, is great new walking location. distance from the lake. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, picture a record store, folks, with uh, with major aisles going up and down. And so people can cram in, and, and Chris does concerts concerts there all the time, which is yeah. really great. From you know, what colors the stage of the uh, the astroturf? Uh, it, it is now pink, which is a little funky. At, at one time it was green, but pink and black are the colors of uh, Dennis's book. So he changed the astroturf to pink in order to commemorate that. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, so. crack me up. Okay, so. As you can imagine, folks, I mean, record store, it's a good size, but there's a lot of records in there. So mm-hmm. setting up the cameras and setting up your audio equipment, I would assume there were some challenges with that? Or uh, we had to stake out our territory before they let anybody in. Okay, sure. <laughs> Makes sense. There was that. And there were also a couple of camera operators that weren't working with us initially. I mean, everybody had their cameras, like their camera phones out. But oh, there yeah. were a few oh, people yeah. with some nice cameras, like a couple of them got up in the balcony where we didn't really have anybody. And then they reached out to us later and said, by the way, I've got some great footage if you want it. Oh, and, that's neat. Yeah, and they handed off their footage to us, and so that was really helpful. But uh, we, we already had six or seven uh, operators before that. But Spread it really around helped. the stage primarily. Yeah, but yeah. it really helped give a perspective on the entire store. The quality, the audio quality to me was phenomenal. Can, mm-hmm. can you tell us how you did that? I mean, it was really excellent. Well, it, that's... When, on on every project I do where we're using actual audio from something, I mean, music videos, it doesn't matter, but I'm an audiophile. I, I'm one of the guys that I, I went into the Kickstarter with uh, uh, Neil Young's Pono project where yes, this high-res music player. I've got mine right over here. I, 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 in, in I, the bo- I still got the box. Ah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, mine was signed by uh, a crazy horse. <laughs> very good. But uh, So I was very aware of high-resolution music, um, 24-bit recording, and then uh, as high a, a bit rate as you can possibly get. Sure. Uh, so I worked with David Wilson, I, who engineered that night. He got everything on multi-track. It's not a stereo recording. I mean, we, we have everything mic'd separately and really clean. Because even though this was just a, a vanity project for Chris at the time, he wanted the pristine recording of what happened in his store. And cool. and so I, I made sure that it was recorded at the highest resolution that could possibly done and then keep all those tracks separate. And then once we had them, we went straight to Bob Ezrin, who is the longtime producer of uh, uh, all of Alice's, well, like say 90, 95% of Alice's work. Um, I mean, his, the first album he produced was uh, Love It to Death. 18 was a hit right away. Yeah, it, it made right. Alice and it also made Bob. And then Bob, of course, went on to work with Kiss, Peter Gabriel, Pink Floyd, my favorite. And um, yeah, everybody knows what a legend he is yeah. now. And Justin Corleu has also been working uh, alongside him on Alice's more recent albums. And the pair worked on the mixing of this movie as well. I mean, nobody knows how to mix Alice better than those two guys. My only instruction with them is like, we recorded this high res, let's try to keep it like the full resolution through every step of the process of getting this, you know, stuff mixed. And so something that Chris and I are really proud of right now is any way that you consume this particular 
recording, wh- whether it's the LP that came out or the single or the movie itself, you're hearing the highest resolution that it was recorded at, and it hasn't been dumbed down at all. Excellent. So, yeah, you're hearing 24 bits and, and a high bit rate through the whole thing. That's the first first comment we get every time we screen this thing in a theater. Is like, I can't believe how good it sounds. And it's like, well, you know, there's people that argue that you can't hear the difference for high-res audio and stuff like that. But if if everything's only as every chain's only as strong as its weakest link. Right. And if, if you keep all those links strong all the way through, you're yes. going to hear something and, and, and the ultimate product that's, that's above and beyond what most people get. And I'm really glad that we've been fortunate that in most auditoriums where it's played, it's taken full advantage of, of everything we've done to, to keep this audio as, as good as possible. And of course, the biggest part of this whole thing is the band played just like they never had split up. Yeah. They really were tight. I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. Now, Dennis Dennaway said, said uh, which was interesting, he said his, he thought, and again, he's not a sound guy, but he thought it was easier to record in a record store than uh, off of a big stage, big yeah. amphitheater the, somewhere. Yeah, the acoustics. Yeah, the, yeah, you like the yeah. acoustics of the record yeah, store. Yeah, well, like there's, there's a lot of camera phone <laughs> videos out there, too, that, that don't get represented as well. I, I've, I've got to tip my hat to, to Bob Ezrin on that because he has kind of an unfair advantage because when you're mixing concert sound after the fact, you can go back and perfect everything, you know, how, how it's balanced out in the mix. Yeah. I'm not talking about overdubs. I'm talking about just, just making sure the guitar and the bass aren't fighting each other and, right. and the vocals and get all the levels right. Um, if you're mixing at a live show, there's no redos, you know, right. whatever it's, happened. It's that's, well, that's the way it was. Right. right. Which so is there's still that. why Live at Leeds is, by The Who is still so amazing to me. It is. I mean, that, that, I mean we're there's talking. a reason it's considered the best live album, yeah. man. It's the yeah. power on that recording is amazing. Yeah. I'm sorry to do a flashback. No, no. Sorry to do a flashback. <laughs> but I'm that, a fan of The Who. Yeah, that to me is still amazing, that, that, mm-hmm. that live album. And that was done in probably 67 or 68, I'll bet. Something like that. Tommy tour. So I think... Uh, I think it was before the... T- I think. Well... Was it? Yeah, I think so. Well, whatever. What? Okay. Whatever. Whatever. All right, so you've gotten word that Alice is going to be there, but mm-hmm. there's still a little bit of fear there, right? Uh, yeah, anything could happen. I mean, he was on tour. They usually have him playing every other night, not more frequently than that, so he doesn't wear out his voice. Right. You know, the older you get, the harder it is to just sure. belt it out every night. It was a big show at American Airlines Center coming up with Motley Crue. Right. Chris is a pretty shrewd guy. He manages bands, so he's aware of all of you know, the, the trepidation and, right. you know, you're touring, you don't want to wear yourself out. They could have come back at any moment, said, you know, Alice needs to rest his voice, whatever. So sorry. No, it came down. And that day, Toby Mamis, who, who, uh, uh, works with Alice and, and Shep, he came down to the store to make sure everything was copacetic. Oh, and, that's good. And kind nice. of the front, and, front man for Alice. Yeah. 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 He just checked the store out and kind of gave the nod and, that meant that, yeah, Alice can come. Cool. <laughs> now, and, uh, getting so. Alice in the building without anybody seeing him was a little tricky because there's only one way in, the front door. So how the yeah. hell did Chris do that? Or you, Chris and you, how, did you, how the hell did you get him back in Chris's office? Well, well, the cat's out of the bag because it's described in the movie. But yes. uh, I, I would say at the risk of uh, getting in trouble with his former landlord... <laughs> There is a warehouse behind, in the same building as Good Records, uh, but behind it, that Chris had access to. But the problem is there was, there was no doorway between that warehouse 
and good records. So <laughs> he blew a hole. What do you mean? And his blew back a hole? wall. Well, in the movie, it makes it look like it's the outside wall. He uh, Alice had actually come through uh, the garage door there. He he drove himself came came through the garage door and they had like it's like this empty warehouse and they had a couple of chairs set up, some bottled water, a couple of things to eat. There was not much there, you know. Right. And he's kind of embarrassed by this whole thing. It's like Alice is coming here and I'm putting him in that room. That's my green room. Right. And and he's like, oh no, this is nice. You've thought of everything, but but yeah, between that and the store, he had cut a hole that wasn't there, and. <laughs> And uh, it's still, I mean, I, I wish Good Records is still in the same building because, I mean, people need to see what he did to, like, <laughs> make sure Alice could get in there without being seen. So, yeah, there's this hole that connects the, uh, the warehouse to the back office of Good Records. And so that's how he came in. And uh, he didn't actually see the band until he walked out on stage. Which is so cool. Yeah, there, there's a moment of recognition in the movie when he steps out and he looks at Michael Bruce. He and Michael Bruce hadn't been in touch for a little while. I mean, here and there, but he hadn't seen him. So when he walks out on stage, the, he's got this like bright look in his eyes. And he's like, oh, there you are. You look good. You lost some weight, you know. And yeah, that's genuine. Great. Uh, there was no rehearsal or anything with, with Alice. He just walked out and he did the show. Right, and they'd broken up 40 years earlier, I believe. Yeah. Now they had seen each other since a few times. I mean, right. they were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame together. Right, 2011. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, this was the first time they played together since then. And the first, if you want to call it a full set, uh, it was about 40 minutes long, the full performance. But it was the longest set that they had played since uh, the 74 tour. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Now, uh, Chris admits in the movie that he was like a kid in a candy store. In fact, in the film, when he when he brings them back out for the encore elected, uh, uh, encore song elected, you can see that he was jacked out of his ripcord. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean that was really. I mean, he was really a kid in a candy store. It was amazing. yeah. Anything you say to Chris at night, he wouldn't remember the next day. He was just beside himself. I'll bet he was. I bet he was. Now, the private in the documentary, folks. There's uh, there's uh, you pop into one-on-one conversations with Alice, with mm-hmm. Alice Cooper. So did those happen that night, or did those happen later? Those happened quite a while later. Okay. Um, we didn't really know that we had a movie until after we had shot it. Um, oh, okay. Because, like I said, th- this was meant to be a vanity project for Chris, but the performance was so over-the-top, and everything was so palpable that it was like, and, and we had it captured you know, visually, audio-wise, and it's like, this has to be seen. So did you, so, at the end of the evening, did you know that, or did you know that after you saw I knew that at the end of the evening. Yeah. The trick was going to be, the performance was 40 minutes, it's not a full-length movie. We need more than that, but I already knew everything that Chris had gone through to make the evening happen, so it was like, okay, we can tell that story and have this in there, and then that, that's a movie. Right. And then Chris is like, well, you can't have an Alice Cooper movie without Alice Cooper in it, and he's right. Right. So we started reaching out to him again. They said he's coming to Dallas on, I, I think this was October uh, of 2017. He can give you some time at the hotel that day before the show. We thought maybe we'd get 20 minutes with him. You know, in fact, he came downstairs with his coffee, you know, and it's like, hey, guys, you got 20 minutes. And then he sat down. But as soon as he sat down, forget all about that. He's right. really generous with his time, really he's- open. Just really real. He, you know, he wasn't putting on an act for anybody. He, he just—if you've ever listened to any interview with Alice, he's one of the most entertaining 
talkers ever or storytellers. Yes. You know. But like you said, he's genuine though. I mean he he, he's just he's a really sharp son of a gun. I mean he, he he's 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 the, most of his brain cells are very well still intact, you know. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's Which just, is a miracle anybody made it through the seventies. Yeah. And, and and he went through his tribulations and stuff too and came out on the on the better end of that. We're all luckier for it now. Yeah, yeah. Now he was um it was interesting in the movie and uh, we won't steal that, but I, I'm gonna uh, tell people to get it, and I think it's also in in Dennis's book talking about the, how the band helped build the persona. It wasn't just mm-hmm. uh, uh, Vincent that built the persona; it was the whole band kind of worked together to create the whole persona of the band. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah. In, in fact, if I, I have a habit when I go when, when I get into uh, a particular recording artist, I like to listen to all the albums from the first one to the most recent. And all the live recordings in between. And and when I started doing that with Alice Cooper, there's a very apparent point in there uh, between the second album and the third album where there's a shift. They were already calling themselves Alice Cooper by the time the first album came out. But Alice, the character, was not fully baked yet. He he wasn't okay. singing with that growl. It, it, the aggression wasn't in his voice. He, he was singing just fine. But it was... The best description is, is more almost vaudevillian, you know. It's, okay. Their musical styles and influences were all over the place, but that was their style until they started working with Bob Ezrin and he kind of like found what really worked and everything they were doing and kind of honed it in. And it, you can hear it a little bit on the second album and the song uh, Mr. and Misdemeanor. He starts singing with that aggressive growl in his voice. And, but it was just here and there. But by the time they got to the third album, all of a sudden, he was this really creepy guy that your parents did not want to let into the house, you know. And then Alice, the character, was, was fully, yeah, fully baked, fully baked, and roll, <laughs> rolling ahead. Yeah, and that was that was created by the band because, like Alice likes to say, you know, it's like rock was full of heroes, you know. But when you watch watch uh, uh, superhero movies or uh, read comic books. It's the villains sometimes are the most interesting characters. Absolutely. And he wanted to bring that to rock and roll. And, and I think it's that's as good a way as any to put it. Yeah, it was very well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you you started getting accolades now for yeah. the, for the movie Big Time. Can in fact I think you started back in April a world movie tour, <laughs> right? Can you take us through some some of these activities that you've been doing? Uh, yeah, we've been doing film festivals. We kicked it off at the Phoenix Film Festival in April. April 5th was our world premiere. We did uh, the Free Film Festival in Detroit, Dallas International Film Festival. Uh, those three were really key. Typically, when you're introducing a film, you want to start with the biggest festivals in the world. You start with Cannes. You start with Sundance, South by yeah, Southwest. Yeah, yeah. Those may, it makes a lot of sense to start there because the way film festivals work, if you've already played in a lesser festival, the way they perceive it, then you can't play at one of the bigger ones. We wanted to kind of craft something different. Since this is kind of a, a live performance experience on film, and there's key places where Alice Cooper really has a presence, we wanted to pick and choose our festivals based on that rather than, okay. you know, from the film aspect. So we, we kicked it off in Phoenix, which is where the Alice Cooper group got started. These, these were friends that met in high school in Phoenix and started playing there. You know, originally they were, they were called the Spiders, and then they became called the Naz as they moved to L.A. later on. 
and then eventually got the name Alice Cooper. But the, yeah, they started in Phoenix, and we started the film in Phoenix. And it was great because the premiere was full of, I mean, there were band members, but it was like a family reunion for all the Alice Cooper people. Sure, all the you know, groupies and everything. There were Dunaways yeah. there, the, the Bruces were there, and, and even uh, Glenn Buxton's family. Uh, oh, that's so nice. They were there. We, we had a seat reserved for, for Glenn. There was one empty seat in the theater. It was a sold-out house, but there was one seat that had a, a T-shirt with his image on it, and he had a complimentary ticket and a bucket of popcorn that's set up cool. for him. It was right next to Alice. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So there was that, and, and then Detroit, that was the Free Film Festival, uh, Detroit Free Press. Uh, Detroit is the city where they really broke big. Love to Death came out while they were based there. They really found a home with other bands like MC5 and like Iggy Pop, you know. And, sure, And they sure. said, this is that kind of, you know, aggressive rock and roll, you know, mentality that, that we really relate to. And those bands, even though they were from out of town, they took them under the wing, you know. And you'd think there would be a lot of butting heads and stuff, but no, they were into it. And that's that's when Alice really broke through. And then Dallas is where Good Records is, so it made sense to bring it back back here to Dallas, where we are right now. Right, and, and you won awards at yeah. uh, two of these film festivals, uh, right? More than that now. Yeah. Oh, more, oh, good. Phoenix, we got the Copper Wing Award for best. It was categorized as best short documentary. I have to specify that the movie runs right at an hour right now. Right. And that's a really awkward length in film festivals, you know. Uh, feature length is considered 72 minutes or more in most cases. Oh, interesting. But short films are like usually not longer than a half hour. Right. So we're in this weird space right now where the festivals don't know what to do with it. Sometimes they call us a feature, sometimes they call it a short. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So you may you may go in and modify the movie or nah. It's it, there is a longer cut coming. It's not done yet. Okay. But when we're done with the film festivals, and there's, by the way, there's plenty more film festivals to do. We're, we're going to go through probably around March of next year playing film festivals. Is there a chance you could get into a, a, a South by Southwest? Or is that, that ship probably, that ship's probably, probably sailed? sailed. Because they, yeah. want, they want a U.S. premiere, uh, yeah, typically. Right. Yeah, gotcha. I, There could be exceptions to the rules, maybe. We could have gone into there before, but like I said, we were really jonesing for Phoenix. I understand uh, that. You know, it, yeah. was, it was the birthplace of the band, and it was the best place to to kick right. off the movie. Cool. Plus, we knew there was a good chance that we could get the full band there if, if we premiered there. <laughs> right. Now, this show um, will be published next Monday, but uh, this coming Sunday, mm-hmm. you're going to be showing the film where? At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love that. Yeah. Cleveland, Ohio. Right. And, and I've never been so... Uh, oh, haven't you? So, no. It's so pretty I'm, cool. It's a real treat. Yeah, Dennis has told me I need to take two days just to walk through everything, and that's before the day that we we show the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can believe. It. I mean, it was the, I went within the first thirty days of its opening, and just uh, I, w- I wish I would have been able to stay for two days. It was just mm. a complete, really awesome trip. But that, I mean, you're going to show it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's that's kick yeah. ass, man. Yeah, is I I can't overstate the validation that that gives you as a you know as a film fan, as a music fan. And and somebody who's made one. This is technically my first feature that's being released, and uh, and to be honored in that kind of way is just uh, it blows me away. Congratulations! Thank you. That's great. Now you've but you've got future projects that you're working on, right? You've got some other. You, yeah. I mean, you... uh, we've got several things in development. There's there's one thing that I started actually before started on this whole uh, on the Alice Cooper project. There's a band called Halls of the Machine. They um, they're kind of an ambient rock band. It has a couple of members from Course of Empire that really made a splash 
and Texas uh, several years back, actually nationally, but they were huge in Texas. But that was, that was kind of a Tool-esque thinking man's metal band. All the guys really like virtuosic playing abilities. Uh, the guitarist, Mike Graff, and the drummer, Michael Jerome, started this other band, Halls of the Machine, that's, that's more, it's kind of spacey, a little bit jazzy, a mix of acoustic and electric, really great meditation or sleeping music. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, you might take that that it's it's boring music. It's not. It's it's just really it's thoughtful music, but it also it's unobtrusive. Okay. It, it's really different right now. I would say fans of bands like uh, Cigaros uh, and similar projects would be into this. We did something. Well, it, it made sense at the time, but it's not really done a lot right now. These guys are all stretched to like the four corners of the earth. Uh, one lives in LA and does a lot of session work and, and plays with uh, Better Than Ezra. And, and he's constantly working. Another one is in Arkansas right now. Another one's in Fort Worth. So these guys don't get together that often. In fact, when they record their records, you know, often one is recording by themselves and then another one comes in and lays his parts down. And they're never in the same room when they actually make their albums. Right. We got all these guys together and in one day we shot five music videos, the performance portions of them, in a studio. And, and it was crazy because it was the first time they'd actually played these songs together. Oh, that's strange. And, and they played it live. I mean, uh, and in the videos, you're hearing the, the album, but they actually were playing the music over the recording, and it sounded phenomenal. But we shot these videos, and there's concept pieces that we're still perfecting and, and getting done since then but anyway halls of the machine their their current album is called all tribal dignitaries okay and i'm working on getting a video ep of that out that'll be about 30 minutes long it's basically five music videos from the album that run back to back okay like one long piece and we're looking to get that on through like itunes similar outlets like google play i love it i love it man that's great so got mm-hmm. and and you're ready to do more as soon as, as soon as you pick yeah. up other things you're gonna jump jump yeah. on those as well uh, right yeah uh, we're working on getting uh, some more music documentaries lined up that's great there's Steve. a lot of schedules that have to click before uh, before we can say which one is next but right. but we've got some really good prospects so where can people get the movie. Uh, right now, you just got to see it on the road in the uh, film right. festivals. Okay. That's the only way to see it for the time being. Uh, we get asked that a lot. We are looking at doing a full-on commercial release of the film. Good. It would be limited release. It, you know, it's not going to be in every screen in every city. Correct. But we're looking at doing that when the uh, film festival run finishes its tour. So ne- next year sometime. Right. Yeah. And we are looking at uh, like DVD, Blu-ray streaming and stuff after that. Um, cool. We don't have all the details on that yet. Knowing Chris Penn and his penchant for like overdoing himself when he's in charge of a project as far as packaging goes. If, if anybody owns the LP of Live from the AstroTurf, you know what I'm talking about. Or the seven-inch single. I mean, it's, it's won awards for best packaging that's uh, great. Yeah. The, and you the, can get the, that at good records for sure. Uh, you can while they last. Uh, the the seven inch is gone. It went in 15 minutes. <laughs> really? Yeah. You might find it on eBay, but you're going to be paying well over $100 for it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The LP, there's few left, very limited quantities now. You kind of have to get it from collectors that have grabbed a bunch of copies because with all the color variants, there are this thing. Collectors, I mean, it's not uncommon to find people that have bought 
box sets of 10 of them. Really? Yeah. It's called the Cadillac box. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. All right. I love it. This has been fantastic, Steve. Mm -hmm. Want to give another promotion to Dennis Dunaway's book, uh, Snakes, Guillotines, Electric Chairs, My Adventures in the Alice Cooper Group. Um, It's been an absolute blast. Do you you have any closing comments before we uh, let the guillotine fall on the show? Uh, just if, if you have an opportunity, see this movie in the theater, uh, if for nothing else, the sound, uh, and, and just the communal experience, cause it's, it's like seeing the live show. It, it, it really comes across, uh, every audience that we've played this for, it feels like coming out of a concert afterwards. So, I can believe, I can believe that. Yeah. Oh, but also, uh, uh, your website to keep, to keep track of some of your stuff. Where, where right. You- if you go to live from the astroturf.com. Uh, don't add Alice Cooper onto that. It's just live from the astroturf.com. All of the announced shows we put on that. As a matter of fact, I would like to unveil the very next showing. Right okay. We, we put a little teaser out that something was going to be happening uh, September 26th through 29th. This is a, a, the very first North Texas International Film Festival. It's put together by the same people that did the Dallas International Film Festival, where we won an audience. Sure, before. sure. They're doing a best of Dallas International Film Festival as a part of the North Texas International Film Festival. It's going to be in Plano, Texas, September 26th through 29th, and we've been invited to be a part of that. Chris Penn and I are expected to be in attendance, and uh, you never know. There might be other guests. Well, I'm going to be there. That's good. That's going to be awesome. I got to be there. All right, yeah, good, we'll good. And you, and then also you've got uh, you've got a web page for twelve thirty seven FilmWorks too. People I do. Could twelve thirty seven. Now twelve is spelled out. Thirty seven is just the numbers. Right. Twelve thirty seven FilmWorks dot com. That also has like some music videos and other things that I've worked on that you can check out there. You can see video from Minkenna. Uh, the Halls of the Machine have a video on there. Right. That I saw. We were yeah. Talking about. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. All right. That is a wrap. Muddy and I are letting the guillotine fall. Till next time, adios. In the interview, we talked about an upcoming film festival in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where the movie will be shown. I reached out to my super friend, Maureen Womack, who is involved with the event, and she sent me some details. It is the North Texas Film Festival and will run from September 26th through the 29th at Cinemark West Plano and XD. So, live at the AstroTurf, Alice Cooper by director Steve Gaddis will be shown. And back in episode 28 of the Damn Podcast, we interviewed Josh David Jordan, director, and Greg Schroeder, actor, on their movie This World Won't Break. That will be shown at the North Texas Film Festival as well. To keep track of the movies, their schedule, and how to attend the festival, go to ntxff.com. Again, ntxff.com. Both films are super, and the people involved are just as great. Hope to see you there. All right. About the slight bone of contention that Steve and I had in the interview, that is, the album, The Who Live at Leeds, did it include music from Tommy? Will you allow me to say that uh, both of us were right? <laughs> the original album that I have was released in 1970, and there are no Tommy songs on it. But after the interview, Steve updated me 
that he had the deluxe edition of the album that was released back in 2001. And sure enough, all of the Tommy music is included in the deluxe edition. So, for those of you that are true Who fans, I apologize for my oversight. May the acid queen slap me silly. With that said, go play some music. Play it loud. And I mean loud. I wonder, maybe I shouldn't have stopped taking my meds. May have an issue. Is this a dream? I won't hurt. 